1 Peter 2, 9 to 12. Let's read it together, starting from verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Good morning. Uh, Pastor Curtis and his family were on this uh, mission trip. They're back, so uh, come on out and preach. But <laughs> no, he needed a break, so that's why I'm here this morning. Uh, two weeks ago, we were in Turkey uh, for my grandson's graduation from international school. And while we were there, we took a three-day tour to visit the churches of Revelation. It was quick, it was uh, interesting, but very tiring. If you ever go to Turkey and you wanted to visit the churches of Revelation, the only one you really need to see is Ephesus. The other six is, well, it's okay, but uh, all you see is a little mound of dirt or, you know, something like that. Uh, but uh, Ephesus, really, uh, the excavation was still ongoing. It's, it's very, I mean, they've only excavated about 20% of the of the runes, but they can't excavate more because the runes are, you know, they're layered on top of each other. You have to destroy one civilization to get to the next one. And in some of the cities, it's, you have modern cities, high rises, and so you, they can't excavate because there's no way of, uh, unless you move people and destroy buildings, you can't excavate and find out what's underneath. Uh, we at each of the sites, we're able to read from Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3. I don't know if you've done that recently or not, but five of the churches uh, were under God's judgment because either they had lost their first love for the Lord, they were lukewarm in their faith, uh, or they were compromising with sin, with idolatry, and sexual immorality. Once was thriving communities of believers no longer exist today. You know, that experience of seeing that, and when we went back to Istanbul, which was to the north, the capital, not the capital, uh, Ankara is the capital, but Istanbul is where everybody goes. Uh, when we got back to our son's uh, home there, uh, we heard the U.S. Supreme Court's decision on gay marriage. I think we all know that what has been the accepted norm of God's design for marriage for thousands and thousands of years was suddenly overturned by five uh, justices. And I don't know if you've thought about how can this really happen? Well, 
we need to remember when a person, no matter he's liberal or conservative, uh, if they don't believe in a personal God, then they don't believe in absolute truth. So if you don't believe in absolute truth, then these justices believe that they have the right and the power to change the culture. What, uh, you know, what happened that day was so shocking for me, I couldn't sleep that night. Uh, even the Chief Justice, Roberts, he said what was done was not really constitutional. I mean, he himself said that. He said it's the twisting of the 14th Amendment to include marriage. And then he said, this is really an opinion, not constitutional law, even though they made it a law. Giving people rights, benefits is one thing. But to change God's design is going too far. You know, the Old Testament kings were condemned and judged because they led the people away from God. You know, for thousands and thousands of immigrants who came to America that fled Europe and came to America for freedom from uh, persecution of their, of their faith. Somehow, the 4th of July no longer carries the same meaning. We have essentially gone further than Sodom and Gomorrah. And why do I say that? Because as a now we have, the United States have made gay marriage a state-sponsored institution. Whereas in Sodom and Gomorrah, people were just doing it. Now we have not only sanctioned it, but demand uh, it become a state institution. In so doing, America has lost its role of being light and salt to the whole, to the rest of the world. Another factor that I think we need to take into consideration, America in the last 50 years has gone through so much cultural change. Uh, we've moved from a post-Christian culture, a post-modern mentality, from neutrality uh, on religion to essentially a radical, secular, anti-Christian stance. Today, relativism rules. The Barner research found that 64% of Americans believe that truth is always relative, depending on the circumstance. Only 22% believe that there is such a thing as absolute truth. But among teens, which is far worse, uh, it's totally lopsided, 83% says that moral truth truly de uh, depends on circumstances. And only 6% says that moral truth is absolute. Think about it. Teens, only 6% of that whole group 
believe that there is such a thing as absolute moral truth. 43% of Americans believe that all religions teach the same thing. Now, what have we done in America? That's what I'm asking. Uh, 40% believe that everyone will be saved eventually. But the statistics in the church, in the Christian church, is not much better. I say 43% of Americans, all Americans, but within the church, only 32% of born-again believers believe in moral absolutes. That just blew my mind. You know, within those so-called born-again believers, only 32% believe in moral absolutes. And 25% of believers think that everyone will eventually be saved. Now, you know, that, 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 that's, do we understand the implications of these statistics? First, the majority of Christians either don't know their Bible or don't accept it as God's truth. Because how can you accept it as God's truth when you can't even believe in absolute truth? And secondly, if we believe that everyone's going to be saved, why evangelize? Why get excited and passionate about the the loss? Because eventually they'll be saved. So somehow we've watered down what we believe to the point that it, nothing matters anymore. Now, we don't know the consequences of our Supreme Court's decision. It's still going through change right now. There's all kinds of rumbling out there. But as believers, we need to seek God. We need to repent of our sin. We need to pray and ask for God's work in our lives and in our nation. And we also have to ask, why does God have me, you and I, alive at this particular time in history? It's a very challenging time for us in our nation. And we have to ask, will we stand up for the truth of God, or do we begin to cave in and compromise our faith. And these are choices, hard choices that we're going to have to make. Satan wants to discourage us and he wants us defeated, thinking that we can give up everything. And there will be a price to pay for your faith if you stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. And many of them have already done so if you read the news. But one very important thing to remember People need the Lord. The homosexual community is not the enemy. We are to love and to accept them, not to approve of their behavior. Jesus died for them just as much as he died for you and I. Satan is the enemy, the wolf in sheep's clothing. And he has blinded the eyes of so many people. 
So that's, I, I, I just felt I had to say that before I get on with my message this morning. Uh, because I feel that as a nation, we are at a point of, we are under God's judgment. And unless we repent, unless there's revival, there's not a lot of hope for us in America. Let me just pray, okay? Father, I do thank you that you have blessed us as a nation. If we really look at history, we know that in so many ways we've been privileged. We've been blessed more than probably any other nation in the world. And you've protected us, you've kept us. Yet at this point in time, we seem to have turned our backs against you, and especially the leadership of our nation. Oh God, we pray that somehow you'll speak to our hearts, especially to those who know you, that somehow we can repent before you, we can cry for the mercy and the grace of God upon our nation. Lord, I know that we face judgment, yet at the same time, we we have the privilege of coming before the throne of grace. We ask that you'll touch us as a nation. You'll touch us as a church. You'll touch us as individuals. Help us to be willing to pay that cost of being followers of Jesus Christ. Enable us, Lord, to hear your word, to be filled with your spirit, to be able to go out there into our community and to our schools and into our uh, workplaces and make a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ. Just help us, Lord, even this, moment, uh, this morning and these moments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I feel that our passage this morning is so appropriate for us in light of all that's going on around us. We live in a very confused world. Uh, and that's why it's so important for us to be very clear of who we are, what is our mission, and how do we accomplish that mission. 1 Peter 2.9 says that you are, a chosen, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may somehow declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Peter is saying, this is what we have become. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a new identity. We are a chosen people. That is what we are, chosen by God. God initiated that uh, effort to bring us back to himself. It is something that he has done, not so much I chose God. By nature, we are rebels. We are independent of God. We think that somehow we can live without God and we can take care of ourselves. But God, out of his amazing love, sent us a Savior, Jesus Christ. He offered us forgiveness of sins. 
and he offered us new life. We think we have done it. We found God, not realizing that he's been pursuing us all the time, nudging our hearts, using friends, uh, events, circumstances, and especially through the word of God. It is by his grace, his mercy, that we today are part of God's family. The Holy Spirit lives within us, and this should humble us and give us uh, a a sense of gratitude in our hearts. There's no room for pride or boasting that we are the people of God. We're no better, no smarter than anyone else around us. This is not something that we deserve more than anyone else. But out of God's mystery, something we can't understand, out of his self-giving love, God has chosen you and I to be part of his family. And that is God's grace. We don't deserve it one bit more than anyone else. Secondly, as the chosen people of God, Jesus has entrusted you and I with, our, with his mission to be a royal priesthood. Now, this is even more amazing when you think about it. We're not only the children of God, the chosen people of God, we are a royal priesthood. You know, it says a royal priesthood. That means you have royalty in your blood. We belong to the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And as priests, we represent God to the world. We are the ambassadors of Christ. We're to share the good news to a hurting and a pain-filled world. On the other hand, as priests, we are also to bring people before the living God, to intercede for them before the throne of grace. We're to pray and really intercede for those that God brings into our, uh, in our relationships. When we think of a priesthood, most of us already have imagined things, you know, robes, rituals, inside a temple or a church. But Jesus says, as a royal priesthood, he gave us the great commission to go, to leave your comfort zone, And to make disciples, to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. From Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. From your home, to your neighbors, to your schools, to your office, to wherever God sends you. Jesus modeled it. He took on human flesh. He became one of us in order that we become one of his. Peter says in uh, 1 Peter that he was speaking to the scattered uh, believers around Asia Minor. He says God is planting us like seeds 
to live alongside people who don't know the Lord so that somehow through your life they will see and know that Jesus is alive. When we start living for the Lord Jesus Christ, he broadens our vision. He gives us the ability to see a world that is hurting, that is in need of his grace. When we start, uh, that's why people start leaving their culture, their comfort zone, into communities where people need the Lord. That's why we sent a team to Mexico uh, just this weekend. That's why the seats are empty. Okay, I, I mean, this is, we, every church, should have that vision. God has us here, not for our own comfort, but that we become the instruments of righteousness, reaching out to a world that is hurting, that needs the Lord Jesus. Today, missionaries from Africa, from Latin America, from Asia, from all over the world, are going around sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. It is no longer an uh, U.S. or an American thing. Before the largest mission force was from America. Today, uh, in Nigeria, they have thousands of missionaries out there. From Brazil, they have thousands of missionaries. But guess what country has the most missionaries in the world? Korea. The nation that was despised, that was looked down upon all through history. One, a small, dinky little nation in Asia, Korea, has become, has the largest full-time missionary force. America has more missionaries, but they're all short-termers. But Korea has full-time people. I've been in Asia, in Africa, in Europe, in Central Asia. I've met Korean missionaries all in these different countries. They've got the vision, they've got the passion, and they're sending out their own people all over the world for the sake of the gospel. They've put us to shame. When you see how small Korea is, how small is their population, yet they have more missionaries by far than we have. You know, uh, in India, there's a tribe of, uh, called the Naga Indians. And they are one of the poorest uh, tribes in the world, essentially. Living in dirt floor huts, uh, burning twigs to cook their food. Uh, yet they have sent out several thousand missionaries to the rest of India. Because God gave them that vision and God gave them that passion. And you say, how can a dirt poor tribe <clears throat> excuse me, send out so many missionaries? How can you do that? Well, they set a policy. Every time the men go out and gather their branches and twigs and so forth, they set aside a portion for the Lord's work. Every time the women cook rice, they grab one handful and set it aside for missions. 
I mean, that's amazing. These people need to be supported. They need help from everybody else. Yet they are doing God's work. And they feel it's their privilege to be a part of God's mission. Yet here in America, we've been blessed with so much, even so much excess. We have uh, education, we have resources, we have comfort, we have luxury. We need to pray and ask God to give us that same passion, even as these Naga Indians have. So that somehow we'll be a part of what God is doing around the world. Now how do we accomplish this mission that God has given to us? By being a holy nation. We're a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. But to accomplish that mission, we have to be a holy nation. That is how you and I are to live. Our calling is to live out the life of Jesus. Reflecting his love, his goodness, showing an unbelieving world that Jesus is alive. He's not just in the church. He's in our hearts. As we go out and live, people will say, hey, what do you have that I need? A holy community set apart, different from our neighbors and our friends, different from the world, belonging to the kingdom of God. Do people know that we truly belong to the kingdom of God? Peter says that this is what you have become in Christ. The people of God. To show people living in darkness. To show them the light of Christ. And in verse 11 he says, we are different. The word in, uh, we read at first says, uh, we are to be aliens and strangers in our world. Living a lifestyle that attracts people and causes them to bring glory to God. That is our mandate. To live in such a way people see and know that Jesus is alive. The problem here, I think we all know, is that many of us Live in this world as if there's nothing else. We love this world and so identify with it that we don't want to be seen as aliens and strangers. We don't want to be holding green cards. We want to be like everybody else. But Peter says, our lives must reflect who we are. Living holy and godly lives. Not perfect lives. We're far from perfect. But living in such a way we touch other people's lives. Now, do people see something different in your life? Do they ever ask you uh, what makes you tick? Why do you have that kind of joy? Uh, are we making an impact 
on our campuses, on, in our workplace, wherever we are. Remember, Peter says, God's planted you like seeds to live alongside those who don't need, uh, know the Lord so that somehow they will bring glory to God because of what they see. Are you sharing with your neighbor? Are you sharing with your colleagues? Are you sharing with your friends? Just think about this. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Somehow for us, if we hear that and and let it sink into our hearts, it makes us uneasy. It probably blows us away if you think about it. That is what God has made us as the children of God. It's an impossibility when we think about it to be all of that. And, and so how do we deal with that? How can we be what God has already said we are? How do we sustain this identity? Being the chosen people of God. Being a royal priesthood. Being a holy nation. How do we keep Satan from tempting us, stopping us, from living for the Lord Jesus. The good news is, God knows you. He knows me. He knows our weaknesses. And has provided the means for each one of us, young or old, to grow, to be the light and the salt of this earth. It's not you and your ability, but it's the living God who enables us to be all of that for the kingdom of God. And God is working all around the world today. Christians, especially in the Muslim world, are facing un- unbelievable persecution. Uh, they're facing so much pressure. Uh, I, I don't know if you read the news in the Middle East, and especially in the Muslim world, all that's been going on, the persecution, the murders, the killings, and all that. Yet believers, you know, uh, it's just amazing what, is God, what God is doing in their midst even today. The church in Iran, uh, you never hear news about that. You never read it in the news. But the church in Iran is alive. And let me just share uh, just three examples. A pastor is put in jail because he does not send his kids to a Muslim school. A six-year-old boy watching an illegal Christian broadcast wants to share the gospel with his teacher, so he thinks of an ingenious way of somehow getting a Bible to her. An old man is caught passing out Bibles. He's beaten, he's arrested, and he's jailed. When they release him, He goes to another section of town with a bag of Bibles ready to share again. You know, once you've been in jail, you figure, I don't want to go there again. Yet this man, after each time, God uh, gives him that passion, that burden, that vision to go out and share with his own countrymen the good news of Jesus Christ. 
The church in Iran is alive, growing probably faster than many other churches in the world today. And you know, uh, before there were closed countries, uh, restricted countries, and there still are. But you know, God's amazing. No country in the world today is closed anymore. We have the internet. We have the, all the you know, social media. And the Bible or the word of God is just going in there like, a, like going through a sieve. And people are writing, asking, calling for Bibles. And people are turning to the Lord Jesus. The government can't stop it. There's no way of them stopping the whole internet. Yet it is touching thousands and thousands of lives. In newspapers there's ads and uh, people are responding to the ads. Wanting the correspondence courses. Wanting this or wanting, wanting the Jesus film. Wanting, and, and they're just hungry. And God has allowed what I think ISIS and all that... Uh, Terrible things to happen in the, in the Muslim world to shake up and open the hearts of so many Muslims toward the gospel. Because they're asking, is this what I truly believe? And they are hungering to know more. They want to know. And they're searching. And many of them are turning to the Lord. People... Uh, are, you know, remember in Pakistan last year they killed all those students in the school? Uh, the amazing thing is, some of those killers, terrorists, started having dreams of Jesus. And it caused them to go back to this Christian community to beg for forgiveness. And they wanted to become followers of Jesus. I mean, that is, I, I, all, I mean, God is using dreams, he's using visions, he's touching people's lives and drawing them to himself to become followers of his. Now they are being hunted by their own comrades, other terrorists. Now I know this has been a very brief message, uh, but it's the purpose is to remind us of our identity, our mission, and God's provision to help us accomplish this mission. You know, we all have to make choices, like it or not, to either believe and trust God or to forget about it. To be committed to his purposes or just do our own thing. To live lives that really reflect who we are. Or we just blend in and become part of our own community. Are we God's people? God's chosen people? Are we a holy nation? Are we a royal priesthood? And if we make that choice, we got to remember, we will face pressure and maybe even persecution. But we need to remember, God is our enabler. 
And let me give you two promises. The first one is, not by might, not by our own power or strength, but by my strength, says the Lord God Almighty. It's not our abilities. It's not our smarts. It is God who is working in us and through us to be able to accomplish the will of God. And the last verse, he that is in you is far greater than Satan who is in the world. And if we hang on to these two promises, we will make an impact in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in the workplace. That's God's calling for each one of us. And will we, as Harvest Community Church, be that kind of a people? Will we be able to help each other live in such a way our friends will say, what do you have that I need for my life? Let us pray. Our Father, we know that you've given us the privilege to represent you to our world. Forgive us when we forget that. Forgive us when we just want to do our own thing. Forgive us when we just want to live in our own comfort and security. Not realizing that you really have thrust us out into our community, into our campuses, into our, into our workplace, so that we can live alongside those that truly need the Lord. Help us, Lord Jesus. Enable us, not by might, nor by power, but by your Spirit. Just give us the grace to live for you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.